This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. I do own Bitcoin. There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, your weekly crypto crash course. Every Wednesday, join us in the dynamic world of cryptocurrency as we cover everything from major stories to short, sharp news bites. Whether you're starting out in crypto or you're a veteran, we've got your back. Tune in, laugh and learn. It's crypto made easy. Today's episode is another big one. We're talking the latest on Solana's surprise resilience despite a major outage. California's crypto community rallying for a change in 2024's elections and exciting developments from Coinbase that could redefine payment systems globally. Plus, we've got the perfect guest for this. It's John O'Loughlin from Coinbase APAC. He's here to deep dive into these topics and share his vision for the market's future. John and Blake, welcome to this week's show. Hey, Trace. Good to be here. Hey, John. Yeah. Hey, likewise, Tracy and Blake. Pleasure and uh, can't wait to... uh see what we're talking about today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, John. Is it worth um, John giving a bit of an intro of himself? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm a Kiwi, traded up, married an Aussie, um, <laughs> and probably not an entirely unique uh, kind of journey. But yeah, started out in TradFi, went offshore from New Zealand right after high school, and then after some time in the States studying, got into the kind of investment banking space really looking at technology and really mobile technology back then with the very earliest kind of 3G players and, and the likes of Vodafones and Ericsson's and Nokia's. So always had a kind of interest in tech, then pivoted to China, got in the food business for about a decade and saw a lot of the early kind of super apps come to bear like WeChat and Alipay, Grab and these guys. And, and that was really a massive kind of reckoning in terms of grabbing eyeballs and attention and also loyalty. And then that led on to QR codes. Moved back to Australia uh, 2014 and worked with Alibaba and Ant Group building their business, which was clearly a really big trade channel out your way. And so Australia and New Zealand had a really healthy trade in that area. And then lots of Chinese tourists coming down here using Alipay and WeChat Pay and lots of similarities in the ways of, you know, how do you really activate these apps on, on big retail platforms like Crypto.com or Bamboo or Coinbase, etc. and crypto. So um, my brother-in-law is in crypto, heavily invested in Singapore with a real estate token business. And then I had a bit of a foray with Gemini and now coming up to two years with, with Coinbase, initially launching the Aussie business, retail business, and now helping lead the APAC business, which has the bulk of the team up in Singapore. But that remit kind of stretches from India to Japan. Wow. Fantastic. Mm. Massive uh, breadth of experience there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So where is it that you're actually based, John? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. We've got a WeWork in Barangaroo and we've got a couple of uh, team members in Australia. It's probably actually 35 odd Aussies at Coinbase kind of dotted around the world and lucky that a bunch of them are in leadership posts. So 
our good little Aussie mates uh, Slack group internally. But unfortunately, a lot of Aussies getting themselves into the news a lot um, <laughs> with nothing to do with crypto in Australia, uh, kind of gaining the headlines here. So we're trying to tell some of the good stories as well. Oh, that's great. Well, look, we're, that's, that's an amazing story and we're great, uh, grateful that you could be with us here today. So let's get into some news. Guys, we've seen $50,000 USD hit overnight. We woke up to that this morning, which is around 75000 Australian dollars. So that is big news. We haven't hit that in two years. Uh, no, I think everyone was expecting a little bit of a pullback uh, after, you know, the crazy rally that we've had. Uh, you know, throughout 2023, the latter half of 2023 and into this year. But it just goes from strength to strength. Mm. What, are you, what are your thoughts there, John? Yeah, look, I think I think we're always confident that this was going to be a really important move with these spot ETFs coming into the market around BTC. I think overnight we've seen some big filings or preparations for them from Franklin Templeton for an ETH spot. And I think overall, you know, conservatively, if all of these large funds are going to allocate 50 basis points to 1% of their assets to let's just call them more broadly digital assets, then that's a, a really significant pool of capital. Um, and I think that train is, has left the station clearly. So that's exciting. And um, I think Australians are beginning to, to really appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, I think we saw Fidelity come out last week allocating 1% to one of their diversified ETFs uh, to cryptocurrency, uh, which is a massive move. You know, if all of these diversified ETFs allocate 1% to 2%, uh, to cryptocurrency, uh, we're talking about substantial amounts of mm. capital coming into the space over the next 12 months. Mm. Yeah, if you look at other asset classes, and I spend a lot of time with financial sponsors and private equity and venture capital, Australia kind of has a two or three lag kind of probably behind the North American markets in terms of how do the big funds and, you know, not even talking about self-managed super funds that probably understand the relevance of crypto. When you look at the big Aussie super funds, let's say there's maybe 15 in the future or maybe 10 they're going to clearly take a few more years to to appreciate this and, and get it past their kind of governance and, and kind of risk appetites. But when that pool of money gets unlocked in the way that it is in North America right now, then I think, you know, that's squarely another another milestone in terms of looking at it through an Australian lens. Talking of milestones, everyone likes to think about where we might end up with that Bitcoin price at the end of the year. But looking a little bit closer, we've got the halving in just a couple of months um, and, you know, everyone expects a run-up towards that. We're already, we've already hit 50K. Who knows where we'll be in, in a couple of months' time, so that's exciting stuff. And I think while we've got you, John, we will wait to the end of the show because people have to wait around to get some predictions from you on price and maybe the market, so stick around. But let's roll in, guys, to our first story that we'll talk about. And just last week, Craig, our co-host who's not on today, but he professed it was Solana Summer and Solana was on the up. And like a curse, it saw a major outage that very next day. It's experienced a five-hour outage early on the morning of 7th of February. And this was the uh, fifth longest in the network's history. Uh, and it hadn't happened, I think, in almost a year. So the Solana engineering team released a new validator software patch to resolve the issue. And it was fixed straight away. But still, Blake, uh, wasn't a good look for Solana. Mm, yeah, that's right. Solana's price surprisingly held up despite the disruption, only dropping about 4%. Now, you know, other networks have had these outages before. Uh, you know, Solana is still relatively uh, young compared to some of the other chains like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and this is you know, somewhat to be expected. But, you know, these guys have substantial resources. Um, I'm surprised it was down for so long, really. Mm, I don't know. The, pr the price didn't really 
stay down for too long and bounced back. But they do get a lot of heat on their outages, particularly yeah, Solana. For sure. It gives people something to talk something about. Something to talk about, yeah. <laughs> John, what do you reckon of this one? <laughs> yeah, I think this industry moves a lot faster and we can talk about how fast you can move money around versus remitting it with MoneyGram or someone else. But mm. yeah, that, that type of five-hour period is something you probably expect of an Optus or a Medibank. Um, and, and clearly there have been a lot of people who have been in the crosshairs of, of outages in Australia in recent times. So I think that was surprising. But I think to your points, very strong community, lots of loyalty. You know, they're sold out, their new Solana phone, oh, you know, massive gosh, yeah. pre-sales, $100,000, kind of pre-funds itself. So yeah. I think they're clearly one of the respected names in the space. Yeah, I, like, Unfortunate. Didn't take, yes, didn't take too much of a hit there. Moving on to our second story, looking to the US now and the upcoming elections, California's crypto community is aligning up to get behind the pro-crypto candidates for 2024 elections, showcasing the power of 8.2 million digital asset owners. This one, John, you could probably tell us a little bit about this one because Coinbase is spearheading this movement. How do you see the efforts influencing uh, the crypto policies, not just in California, but around the nation. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. Look, clearly California's a, been a liberal state for some time, having been a Republican one for a long time. And I think in the current environment, we're seeing a, a kind of new demographic emerge where people will be coming into adulthood and, and lots of people kind of in the 18 to 34 bracket. Uh, this polling by Taluna shows that these owners represent the next generation of California voters. And I think that's why we're probably looking at it and wanting to explore it and understand it more. It's a very progressive cohort of voters. And so we're seeing this younger generation, whether it's, you know, with the Swift Posium in Melbourne, it's just a completely set of, you know, different set of behaviours compared to maybe boomers and, and millennials and other people before them. This is probably part of a bigger story that Coinbase have been wanting to tell is really a rising tide for the whole industry, which we call Stand With Crypto. Um We've, we've been taking entrepreneurs and, and uh, founders and blockchain kind of moonshots moon and all sorts of case studies around, um, you know, payment rails and, and other things down to Washington um, a few months ago with our founder, Brian Armstrong. We drove the equivalent of like a Brinks money truck from New York to Washington and through various kind of traffic jams and debacles showed just how painful and slow it is to move money around. And, and that's the whole idea. You know, people want more access. They want more speed. They want lower costs. Um, and it's all kind of tied into the expectations of these, you know, Gen Z adults and millennials, the majority of them who, who are probably going to support crypto-friendly candidates. And they're, they're a very vocal minority who are used to having access of, of some form that's different to, to even a decade ago. So I think that's that's where we see it kind of playing out and that's why I want to make some noise about it and really build it into this whole stand with crypto campaign of, of voters who are embracing crypto across the across North America we're also you know excited to be bringing that type of campaign to Australia we're, we're looking on a program right now to get similar understanding of crypto adoption in Australia not just in terms of like how many people have crypto because that's been well canvassed whether it's CBA or Treasury or the ATO but rather what are their you know, underlying inherent behaviours and views on the costs of sending money, the fees that bank charge, the access to bank, getting KYC'd, you know, trying to actually you know, address all this debanking, these debanking issues as well, which I think we know in our industry, whether it's Coinbase or your own businesses, is a real issue. 
Yeah, we'll be happy to support any research that you guys want to do there, John. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. There is a generational divide. Uh, younger people that have used these technologies, uh, you know, it then becomes the benchmark, uh, you know, of sending money around in, in the matter of seconds with, with low friction. And they expect it, you know. And those people that are used to using traditional rails, uh, having traditional fee models and uh, traditional channels, um, you know, they, they're not really... They're happy to stick with what they know. They're not really incentivized to to move across and learn new technologies. So, yeah, I think um, you're definitely cultivating uh, support from those younger cohorts is going to go a long way. Uh, that's some awesome insights that you've just given our listeners there, John. So thanks for explaining that one. I think this is something that will play out over the coming year and um, we'll keep a close eye on it. Let's move on now to our third story, which is all about Coinbase because obviously, John, you're here. So we want to get some um, insights into what's going on with uh, Coinbase abroad and here, but also yeah, let's touch on maybe the strategy in Australia and how you're planning to navigate the market here at the moment. Aussies could have been onboarded, um, onboarded to Coinbase ever since kind of 2013 through one of our offshore entities like lots of the international players. We relaunched the business fully onshore as part of what we call our go deep or go broad strategy for international in October 2022. So a little bit prior to that, they hired some some people in the market, myself included. Um, we had uh, quite a nice launch down here and, and had some colleagues down and support from Blockchain Australia and a bunch of partners, Zepto and JP Morgan and others, and effectively had to re-onboard as many people as we could. So we off-boarded everyone and that was north of you know uh one and a half million people i think we were we were quoted as having been on the platform at some point in time and then the crypto window struck and so you know trying to re-onboard people at that point in time when they probably downloaded bamboo stake uh robin hood i don't know crypto.com okx binance ftx everyone else was um was challenging but during that time we've clearly had some pretty big events in the market and can refer to two pretty big names that everyone will know. And so we're seeing a slow kind of flight to quality of people who appreciate that there are some kind of TradFi elements in this exchange business, you know, if you want to be a really reputable player and, and lend yourself to more than just the DeFi market. You know, we were just as much kind of in, in a period of, I'd say, conservative spending, and, and we had a couple of riffs. These, these very big, you know, American kind of reduction in forces and, and as they call them in terms of layoffs. And that happened to, to some of the local exchanges here as well. But I think a lot of the local exchanges managed to retain their good people and we were lucky in APAC we did as well. So we reallocated some of those people, redeployed them, some of that resource and super excited to say that we have budget this year for marketing, for affiliate marketing, for search, for paid, for influencers, for all sorts of stuff. And so we've always been a little bit handicapped and curtailed by our own internal um, organization in terms of international being a newer part of the business and also a lot of the headwinds and uncertainty from the regulation here with ASIC um, you know putting a bit of a gray cloud over everyone and everyone wanting to be very cautious about what they publicize in terms of some of their products and I think this quarter we're going to really um, be returning to being a best in pl class player in the market with you know huge spot for for CoinSpot and SwiftX and others, um, and I think we'll we'll be on par with what they're offering their customers in terms of local campaigns. We also have some other pretty big legs of the business. Our INTX International Exchange. We we came to that game very late. 
vis-a-vis Binance and, and previously FTX. So that's an offshore exchange out of Bermuda. We have our retail advanced or rat trading platform, which we're going to be making a lot more noise about. That's a big, that's a nice step up for advanced traders. And then if you look at the business in terms of the three main pillars, retail is our kind of day job. And that's the bulk of the business. We have an institutional business that competes for custody and competes with people like Zodia and others um, working with banks and digital funds and asset managers, et cetera. And there are a number of Aussie ETFs that are looking to list on the ASX. So we're working with those. But the most exciting part of the business is really the, the last one, which we call you know Web3 or ecosystem. And that's where base fits in our layer to Ethereum. And so we get out of bed every day to do retail and a bit of Insto and there are difficult margins and it's a challenging business as you scale it. But the stuff that's exciting, as I'm sure it is for you and your listeners, is everything that's happening in DeFi. And so there's three or four pretty cool projects going on with base out of Australia, probably 15 to 20 significant ones around Asia, you know, lots in places like Korea and um, up in Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, And it's really about, you know, working out which projects are going to get kind of global reach. So the advantage of base, if you're down in Australia, is that you get access to tens of millions of users who are using Coinbase wallet in other markets. And a lot of them are in that North American market where you know, DeFi is a lot more mature and this stuff is a lot more mainstream with brands and gaming and partners, et cetera. So those are the, the, the big three buckets of business that we look at. The go deep, go broad strategy is, you know, a go deep market is Australia, Brazil, Canada, uh, the US, most of the EU and the UK, where we've got all those licenses. We're leaning into the regulation hard. We're leaning into Mika. We're right up against the SEC and, and really trying to you know, I've got boards of directors and strong governance and compliance structures in place. And, and you know, that's a cost to doing business, that there's a burden in terms of that. You can't move quite as fast sometimes. The go broad markets are places like the Indonesias of the world, the Nigerias, the Argentinas, with these huge populations, uh, usually linked to quite high inflation, a lot of skepticism around US dollar links and pegs. Um, and that's where we go with, you know, Coinbase wallet, uh, again, lots of stuff with base, um, you know, P2P products, etc. So um, that's how we're really looking to to kind of look at look at the bigger the bigger picture. The nice thing about Australia, as I raised the flag for you know this market in North America, trying to get the attention of the exec team, is that we've got this really strong crypto adoption. We've got Immutable, we've got Alluvium, we've got Blockerner, we've got all these companies that are pretty world class. And then we've got six Coinbase venture portfolio companies that we spend a lot of time with as well. So not the biggest market, but kind of hitting above our hitting hitting above our weight. A couple of things that piqued my interest there, John, that I might just um, ask you to uh, elaborate on. You know, we have a new regulatory regime coming here in Australia uh, where, you know, digital asset um, exchanges will be required to either self-custody or use a custodian. I know that you mentioned that you would uh, working with your potentially some uh, ETF uh, providers here in Australia and, of course, in the US. Um, will you guys be providing onshore custody, which is an important step um, for you know, the landscape here in Australia? Jumping right to the juicy questions, Blake. <laughs> I'm just a, curious, that's, mate. That's one we ask. That's one we ask ourselves a lot. So we're kind of seeking <gasps> legal opinion on that. And yep. right now, there's just not the clarity from ASIC or Treasury yeah. on that. I think you can direct people to our own token mapping consultation. We spent a lot of effort on that and had great engagement from both Treasury and ASIC. 
Um, I think it's quite clear our preference is not for onshore custody. Right. Um, it, we think it goes against the grain of, of yeah. decentralized assets uh, just more broadly. We don't you know, necessarily see that in terms of custody requirements for other parts of our business. And we're fully listed and have to disclose everything we do. And I think yeah. we've got pretty strong technology and, and yep. we, we spend a huge amount of time about being vigilant about technology. So one of the points we made was that actually having custody in one place is not as safe as decentralizing it um, mm-hmm. and having it spread around around the globe. So um, and, definitely yeah. definitely ask people to take a look at our, um, our submission. Happy to, happy to flick that to you so you can share it with your listeners. Yeah, I tend to agree, John. You know, people should be using the best global providers uh, and not be ring fenced to the Australian market where you know, we just don't have the size to, to bring these actors onshore to um, provide your full service here. So yeah, I tend to agree, but um, certainly an important point as we move forward through the regulatory process. My second question there was really about base. You know, this is a big move uh, for Coinbase to develop a layer two uh, scaling solution for uh, Ethereum. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits of using uh, the base chain. Um, do you just want to describe the point of difference for our audience uh, around you know, why someone would want to use base versus Polygon or, you know, one of the uh, other uh, Ethereum layer two chains? Yeah, you know, oftentimes I think it's just kind of brand association and, and mm. kind of imbued trust and getting access to the team and Jesse Polak's you know, kind of team and, and are there other parts of the Coinbase ecosystem that it makes mm. sense for you to be working with? I think there was a lot of skepticism from the lot of founders and, and the industry and purists, let's call them kind of, you know, crypto <laughs> purists who say, why is this big corporate org, you know, launching base? And, and it really was a, an internal project that Brian just gave to Jesse and said, look, let's go for it. Let's put our best engineers onto it. Layer twos are going to be really important. All these gas fees are way too expensive. We're mm. kind of um, hammering ourselves by making all this stuff expensive and complicated. How can you yeah. simplify it and make it have more appeal for everyday users? We just had a Chinese New Year NFT um, program running with Farcaster with Coinbase Wallet. And it was, you know, wrapped together in a really short amount of time with the new Farcaster kind of frames, which are, you know, only kind of weeks old. And so the speed at which you can you know, be developing programs is really fast. But I think we're kind of learning how to do that. And I don't think the jury's out yet on how many layer twos there will be mm. or whether they need to, need to be consolidated or who's going to be in the market. But I, I would say the leadership of base is quite independent from from Coinbase in terms of the day-to-day, you know, spot trading business for, for Bitcoin or whatever yeah. other assets we're listing. So I think that's a bit of a foil to some of the criticisms and clearly the adoption's been really strong and really rapid. So, you know, it's a bit of a kind of democratic free market out there. People can mm. use whatever layer two they want. And I think it's just I think it's just early days. Um, so we've been yeah. really grateful for those people who have who have dived in and uh gotten to understand it and work with it. I think it'll come a time when, you know, most retail um, participants in these networks won't even know that they might be using base versus polygon, you know, you know, transactions and actions and, and apps will just be using the best protocol um, to achieve the outcome that um, they're trying to achieve. But uh, yeah, no, it's awesome to see uh, Coinbase moving in this direction and growing out. Yeah, and a massive props to the to the to the people in Australia. We've had four or five base days, and, and we want to have one out your way in Perth. Um, we've had yeah, them in Melbourne right. and, and Sydney, do. and three or four of them. And, we, and you know, we just need to um, put a few on the calendar. And we've had some great partners helping us on that. 
Well, let us know. We'll make it happen for sure. Love to to come to Perth. But look, as we do round out that story, Coinbase, you know, is such an important part of this, you know, community and this ecosystem. And Brian and his vision's always been something that a lot of people look to. And I noticed that you've put that State of Crypto report out recently. And I think what we'll do is we'll put that in the show notes too for any of our users who want to take um, a look at that so you can you can do so. But I think uh, that's a probably a really good spot too to take a break, folks. And when we come back, we'll move on to our short, sharp new bites. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. You're listening to the Crypto Curious Podcast, myself and Blake and our guest, John, today from Coinbase. We're going to jump into our short, sharp news bites today. Blake, you're up first with some news from South Korea. Yeah, that's right. In South Korea, um, they are now cracking down on crypto crimes, setting a precedent with life imprisonment for those making over 3.8 million USD in illegal crypto profits. This move is part of a broader regulatory positioning uh, aiming to protect investors and ensure market transparency. And uh, you know, this is really... Um, typified by uh, this next story from a UN probe um, looking at $3 billion in North Korean cyber attacks on crypto firms. Uh, so in a turn of events, the UN is on the trail of North Korea, which has hacking groups that have generated about $3 billion over the past six years. Uh, these digital asset thieves are linked to about 58 attacks uh, and yeah, there's a comprehensive report about this. Maybe we could post it in yeah, the we'll show notes. Yeah, the link notes in there, yeah. And, you know, there's growing concerns that this is this is increasing uh, in frequency. Pretty crazy stuff yeah. here, uh, you know, that they've been able to, you know, learn how to, how to do this uh, and, you know, take advantage of it to generate um, funds. Yeah, yeah, I think they're making more in crypto hacking. Than in, any other industry. Than <laughs> any other industry in, in um, North Korea. So... There we go. Okay, moving on. Bits, a Bitcoin ordinals gaming project revealed by the OGs of the team. So this is the Dead Fellas creators, uh, the DFZ Labs, and they've introduced Bits, which is a gaming project leveraging Bitcoin ordinals, as everyone seems to be doing. They aim to mint out 10,000 Bitcoin ordinals and develop a game that allows holders to contribute creatively. So this is minting on Magic Eden, and Bits is said to represent a novel blend of blockchain 
technology uh, in interactive gaming. So they kind of got a bit of a hybrid going on here. The project uh, behind this is a new digital trading card game. Uh, inspired by the likes of Street Fighter. This game is still in early development and is uh, aiming to be out later in the year. So I guess these guys are really well known in the industry. Um, They've got a lot of cred behind them. They're launching this uh, NFT collection now. I guess it's it's probably a bit of funding going towards this gaming project later in the year. So there you go. What's up next, John? Exchanges happy with Europe's Mika legislation. Crypto.com COO Eric Anziani shared enthusiasm for the Mika legislation, envisaging it as a game changer for cryptocurrency exchanges across Europe. Mika aims to harmonize the diverse regulatory landscape, simplifying expansion efforts and enhancing efficiency for compliant operations. This comes as the crypto industry faces increased scrutiny and emphasizes the need for uniform regulations to support innovation and protect users. Touche. Yeah, um, we've made uh, Ireland uh, Mika home, and uh, be making a, a fair bit of noise about that. And uh, this is really a bright spot on the kind of global landscape for legislation, mm-hmm. as you know, lots of mainland European um, jurisdictions as well as Ireland just kind of forge forward, and, and we really see some you know alignment across all these geos, particularly uh, end of this year, early next year. Yeah, I think it's important as this regulation comes out in regions like Europe, it gives other jurisdictions that, you know, are maybe struggling um, internally um, to you develop legislation and move forward, uh, something to look at and uh, use as a bit of a... Footprint. Yeah, to um, develop their own regulations. So, no, it's really great to see. All right, MetaMask has done a deal with Robinhood to broaden crypto assets. So MetaMask and Robinhood are rolling out a new integration that more deeply ties the two services together to create a seamless on-ramp and off-ramp. Uh, yeah, I know Robinhood had, had, do you know how many users? Was it tens of millions of users mm, just yeah. in the US? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it allowed people to move in and out of the different apps. Um, you I think MetaMask is doing a great job at the moment, doing lots of partnerships in the ecosystem mm-hmm. and broadening their product offering. I think they're doing an incredible job. There you go. Okay. What's up next? We've got massive token unlocks in February that are coming this way. There'll be some big ones, ladies and gentlemen, this month with a whopping 800 million in long, uh, unlocks mm. across the board with big players like Avalanche and Aptos leading the charge. So Aptos is dropping 25 millions in tokens and Avalanche will be freeing up a few more million. So, uh, you know, this is just like a big treasure chest being opened up. I don't know if this will make a big dent in the market, really, 800 million at this point. Just, just yeah, just for our customers' benefit, you know, when these tokens are locked up for the team or investors, they, they generally have a vesting schedule, uh, which means that, you know, every year or every six months, the investors or the team or the the organization that funds the art research and development can sell down a portion of the, the tokens that they have. Uh, and, you know, these sometimes come through in, in bigger waves, uh, and I think that's what we're seeing this month. What's, what have we got next, John? FTX. As yeah. Sam Bankman-Fried awaits a prison sentence, FTX customers await a surprise. Sounds <laughs> fascinating. Um, XFTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is set to be sentenced next month for fraud charges related to the sudden collapse of his crypto exchange. His former customers are looking forward to full reimbursements of their lost funds. The firm's bankruptcy lawyers expect to fully repay its customers following a resurgence in the crypto market and appreciation of FTX's venture investments. Even with ongoing complexities and dispersing the recovered funds, this positive development is a far better outcome than most had expected. 
Wow. Mm. That's, yeah. No, it's awesome to see. Mm. The liquidators are a way to the races. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there are lots, still quite a few FTX shareholders in Australia, I think, who uh, wish they had uh, maybe had their assets on another exchange because that'd be a long way ahead. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of over the story, but it's nearly coming to an end, I feel. Mm. Mm. I might pick up this one here, Trace, on ENS. So Ethereum name service is kind of like a, a domain that you can buy, um, but also acts like a wallet. So you could have, you know, for example, Blake.eth, and then that could be used for a website, or you could also send your Ethereum or, or, or a stablecoin to it, and it acts, also acts as a wallet. Now, they've done a partnership, the Ethereum name service, the ENS, has done a partnership with GoDaddy, which is one of the world's largest domain name uh, retailers uh, that people buy websites from. Uh, and this is massive. This is going to give your enormous exposure to the technology uh, your dot coms are unaffordable now. People are using other, you know, tails on the yeah X Y Zs and dot ios and all sorts of things. And you know, if uh, ENS is you know comes to popularity, I think this is going to be an important step in the evolution of how people use the internet. Okay, look, really quickly, lastly, for a bit of news, uh, we have been reporting on the Ethereum's uh, Denkin upgrade. We've actually got a date now. It's March the 13th, so that one's a uh, major shift towards more affordable transactions on Layer 2s, so that one is in there. But look, as we finish off the show, and while we do have you here, John, it would be remiss not to get your insights on all the big questions. Go go, go as broad uh, as you want here, but where do you see the market looking um, over the next few years? And how do we get, you know, that billion people into this market space? Yeah, thanks, Tracy. And that's really Brian Armstrong's vision, right? How do you bring a billion mm-hmm. people on chain? Um, and you need some big countries to do it. So it helps if you're going into some big countries where there are lots of people. I just think for the punter on the street, we do need a few more use cases that are just really easy to for people to adopt. And I think Blake was talking about that seamless movement between wallets and various parts of DeFi. It's not there yet. You know, if you want to get onto Farcaster and redeem your NFT, you know, you better have done that before and linked and bridged Ethereum and, and, and be pretty comfortable with that stuff. And, and that always doesn't work. Um, but it's certainly better than most retail banks' banking apps. And I just think the, the way the, of, the, of the UX and, and the whole journey, it lends itself to this next generation. So I think the next generation are much more forgiving and experimental as well. And so I think those two things are dovetailing in the right direction. Um, in terms of legislation, you know, you need to be patient and you need to keep fighting. When we talk about why is it so important in terms of that California demographic, the same is true for Australia. You know, the Liberal government, under Frydenberg really had digital assets a lot further up the totem pole and clearly a uh, Labor government in you know very much aligned with its tradition is all about consumer protection so if you look at the macro story from Joe Longo and ASIC anything that can harm the consumer he's looking to to hone in on that and so that's why it's so important we get down to Canberra and show some of these you know great you know kind of companies that are going to be the next Atlassians and Zeros of Australia because we, we have so much IP on shore here. Taking a step back to probably where I started on my career, you know, I had a banker at Goldman drag me into his office one day and say, turn on your mobile phone and I'll turn on my PC at the same time and let's see which one loads up first. And like, you know, I was on like a bad version of the WAP mobile internet within about 30 seconds. Meanwhile, his like desktop was still whirring up and the screen was still asleep and it was all coming together. And I spent a lot of time 
understanding the difference between the kind of fixed line engineering world and the mobile engineering world. And so mobile has managed to kind of, you know, leapfrog the kind of desktop world. But we kind of think that blockchain is going to even leapfrog everything else even faster. Um, but unless you get a billion people on chain, that's going to have some delays. And that's why the mobile world was so successful because the likes of Vodafone and these huge global networks, you know, literally got like a billion people onto the mobile networks within three or four years of all that stuff kicking off in the late 90s, early 2000s when you had those kind of Nokia brick phones and, um, and then it all kind of took off. So I think you need to have a little bit of patience. Um, and I still think there's lots of money being invested in this space. The capital allocation is probably a little bit more, more discerning than it was two or three years ago. But the trains left the station. And so, um, you know, I really hope Australia can be part of that journey. Fantastic, Joe. I think that's a really great summary. And uh, yeah, if all those things fall into place, then we'll be, we'll yeah. be hitting that billion people sooner rather than later. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So thanks so much for coming on yeah. the Crypto Curious today. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back maybe in 12 months time and uh, we can see where, you know, uh, how the year's gone. See where it's at. But yeah, thanks for coming on. I think, you know, it's been a, a great co-host to have and it's been really insightful. So thank you, John. And that's the end of the show, folks. Um, thanks for coming along and uh, finding out about crypto with us today. If you've enjoyed the journey, bring a friend along next time. We are all involved in this crypto market together. Keep exploring and let's meet again next week for more crypto clarity. Until then, stay curious and stay connected. You can do this by joining the Crypto Curious Facebook page, our Instagram page, and be sure to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast now. If you're looking to DCA into the crypto market, please have a look at the Bamboo app and don't forget to use the code CURIOUS for $10 of free Bitcoin to get you started. There'll be some links in the show notes and hopefully you can join us again next week. Bye for now. See you guys. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.